Hey guys, welcome to our newest episode of Untucked. Today we are going to discuss an article from the Wall Street Journal about parents financially helping and supporting their adult children. And then we are going to talk about an article from Scott Galloway about quitting and what he refers to as a rebranding of the virtue that is never give up. And then our top five is top five perfectly cast TV characters. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 96 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. So the idea of the Guinness Book of World Records was brought to life by a man named Sir Hugh Beaver, who shockingly was the managing director of the Guinness Beer Company back in 1950. Would you have ever put those two together? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, Guinness didn't come out of nowhere. Right. I mean, so. a lot of things come out of nowhere. So why would you just assume that the Guinness Book of World Records was related to the Guinness Beer Company? I didn't. But now that you're saying that, I'm like, okay. Oh, it's obvious. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's obvious. I'm just saying it, it makes sense. Okay. He got in like an argument while hunting with like other, his buddies about like what the fastest bird is on the planet. I guess because they were hunting birds, apparently. So then they did some research and like, and then it just spiraled and took off from there. All right. Philly sports. I mean, I'll kick it off. All of the positive glowing remarks I had about the Sixers a week ago. It's pretty much the opposite. (laughs) Things have gone downhill fairly fast. Um, Joe's playing hurt and there's. All of this hoopla right now, the um, league instituted a rule that in order to be eligible for the MVP award, you have to play at least 65 games. And Just Joe, mid-season they did that? No, at the start of this season. Okay. Um, Joe, who like categorically is the leader in the MVP conversation right now, has missed... Um, I guess he can only miss five more games at this point in the season. So we haven't even reached the all-star break. And he's already missed such whatever the math is that he can only miss five more. And he missed a, like three in a row on their most recent on their most recent Western conference trip because he's legitimately hurt. So then he's having like some knee issues. They don't know when it happened, but, um, it's been kind of nagging. So then he plays last night against Golden State and seemingly re-injures, probably makes worse whatever is going on. Um, the dude came down. Like, like he was on like sitting knee. on his butt, kind of, or laying down on the, on his back, and a guy fell on his knee, which kind of like hyperextended it. Yeah. Mm. It was awful. Yeah. So everybody's saying that Joe – basically said I'm playing and ignored the advice recommendations from coaches, from medical staff, which I didn't know players could just blow through stop signs like that. They can't. Is it MVP related? Meaning like, is he trying to 
meet the threshold of games played? So he said multiple times that he doesn't give a shit about the MVP. That like he wants to be healthy going into the postseason and it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of people speculating that it is MVP related. Um, they also suck without him. Like as good as they are with him on the floor, they are that much worse without. So not only is it, you know, impacting him, but it's also they're standing their record, obviously. I mean, that 65 game rule is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It's so dumb. I disagree 100%. How can you be vo- – if you play 30 games because you're hurt most of the season, there's no possible way you can be voted MVP because you, you weren't the MVP. So you agree with the 65 game rule? No, there shouldn't be any threshold. You should have Zero. to meet a threshold. No, why? You can't play 30 games and then be the MVP. Exactly. But you're not so going So why do you to? have to make the rule? Like, why do you have to make a number of like games? Like, 30 games is, is egregious. Like, of course, a thir- like that's a bad example. Like, you should be able to play 60 of 80 games and, and be And MVP. If, if you absolutely dominate like no other, you could argue you're the MVP. How many games are in the NBA season? 82. 82? Yeah. 65 is a little high. Any threshold shouldn't be – it shouldn't matter. You should at least have to play half the games. But, but even that, why, why put a number to it? It, all of this comes back to like the load management conversation, right? Like they're they're doing this because they want their best players playing up until the last game of the season. Yeah, well, to me, that's not the way to do it. Right, like, it's like, not. Listen, if you played 50 games because you're hurt the other 32 and you averaged 91 points a game and your team went 50-0, you're the MVP. Sure. <laughs> you got to play at least half the games. Yeah, so that uh, that's what's going anyway, on with the Sixers. Joe's hurt. They suck. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it's ebbs and flows. <laughs> I don't trust the process anymore, man. I'm back out on it. Uh, I'm telling you, like, if we went back and listened to how excited and happy I was a week ago, <laughs> it's the complete opposite now. Uh, so. I heard a rumor, like, Tobias for LeBron. How do you? How would you feel about that? Are you're, you you're asking Meg. <laughs> uh, I think it was like Tobias, two first round picks for LeBron. <laughs> I love LeBron and I hate Tobias. Like, like what's LeBron what doing this year? Is he? Is he? Is He'll he be play? top ten in MVP. Yes. Really? Yes. How did he do last year in the playoffs? They lost in the conference final. Which the Sixers weren't. Sure. No, we weren't. <laughs> I mean, LeBron's not coming to Philly. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Unless in some weird way, Bronny ends up getting drafted by Philly, yeah. and then LeBron comes here to play one year with his son. Right. That would be after Joe's window's closed anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so Shock. not good news on the <laughs> Sixers. Not on the Sixers, no. Is there anything new with Carter Hart? Oh, you got charged. Just that there's formal oh, he charges, formal and he's charged. named along with the other three or four whatever guys which everyone knew about. It's not a surprise. It's just now formal. The names are there. There is more to come, but looks like the the issue or the one of the issues from a playing hockey standpoint and as the Flyers are concerned, it's looking like there probably won't be any sort of trial if that's where it ends up going till like 2026. So it's going to be a long time before anything comes of this. So he's still allowed to like play. They're they're not sure. There's a lot okay. of there's there's several things they could do. They could 
I think they could like, there's a way they could, you know, nullify his contracts. They could, um, I, I think there's a few different paths here, which they haven't chosen yet, but it just looks like we have to assume that Carter Hart is no longer part of this organization. organization. Wow. That's what I would, that's how I would do it. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of, there's not a lot of actual like information other than that all the rumors and speculation is in fact what's going on, which he's rolled up in this whole, um, the accusations and the formal charges and all that goes with that. So has it been like, how has the team been playing in the midst of all of it? No, they're not good. They're, they're they're in the break now. So all-star break, which comes at a good time. So they won't be playing again until next week. Good time. I think they dropped five in a row before this. Um, Sixers ask. They've played more games than any other team though. So they, they have had a tough schedule. Not that that's an excuse, but it's a good time for a break for a variety of reasons for this team. So we'll see how they come out of the break. Uh, they're at, they're like on a bubble right now in terms of where they uh, land playoff wise. If, if the season were to end, but there's obviously, you know, 30 more games to go. So it could go <laughs> very South or it could be just limp along or it could, you know, who knows? Even in those losses, they, they're still fun to watch. Yeah. I think you, I would, I would agree. They got fight, man. Yeah, I would agree. It's nice to see that. Yeah. They're still hard to play against no matter who they're playing. So, yeah. Um, overall, I give them a – I mean, they've outperformed what I thought from that aspect, like watching them for sure. So so first half grade, where would you uh, – Team you overall? Yeah. I think compared to expectations or just like how they are in the league. I, I mean, I, I'd give them like a B plus. Okay. B plus. That was B plus, A minus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So As a team, B plus compared to expectations, for sure, A minus. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm with you. This will probably be the last <laughs> pod we do before the Super Bowl. Do yeah. we want to make predictions? <sighs> sure. What's the line, Jeff? Chiefs given <laughs> like, oh, it's one, really? The Chiefs, I think, are getting one. They're, they're the underdog. And this is in Vegas. It's in Vegas. Chiefs, Niners. Niners are the favorite. Okay, so it's a toss-up. I am predicting it's up to two. Chiefs are that getting the Niners two. win twenty-seven to twenty-one. Mm. High-scoring affair. Yeah, over/under at forty-seven. So you like the over, and Chiefs getting two. So they're the underdog going into this affair. Mm-hmm. You think the underdog's going to lose? I do. I cannot stand Patrick Mahomes. I'm so over him. I actually don't mind Andy Reid. Whatever. Yeah. I'm cool with him. We suck. He's better. Like, he's just completely outperformed us. So, go ahead. Win another one, dude. Patrick Mahomes. I, I just can't. I can't take him anymore. He's got to lose. It's. I feel like he's like Darth Vader. And I just need Han Solo or Luke Skywalker to come in. <laughs> I just, he's just, he's like, he's like the enemy. You just made this conversation so nerdy. Dude, whatever. All right. So Niners. Uh, No, I think the Chiefs win. (laughs) I I want him to lose so bad. But I think, I mean, 
I know. The Chiefs look good last week, man. Their defense looks really good. And San Fran didn't look that great until the second half. And Brock Purdy is a Mr. Irrelevant. He's like basically a I know he's not a rookie, but like he's young. He's never been on the stage before. Wouldn't be shocked if he threw like three interceptions. Why do you laugh at that? What's your score prediction? We got to go scores? I mean, Mike did. 52 to 3. Uh, 28-14, Chiefs. So I also think the Chiefs are going to win. I think the disdain you feel for Patrick Mahomes is what I feel for the San Francisco fan base. Yeah, I I hear you. The San Francisco 40 whiners, (laughs) as they said last year. Um, So I'm going to go Chiefs, 30-24. Okay, two field goals or a missed extra point. All right. You want to move on to Coach's Corner? Let's do it. Um, Today we're going to talk about an article recently um, featured in the Wall Street Journal written by Julia Carpenter. The article is called Well Into Adulthood and Still Getting Money from Their Parents. Um, I took this... Like summary right from the article. Parental support is continuing later in life because younger people now take longer to reach many adult milestones. And getting there is more expensive than it has been for past generations, economists and researchers have said. So Julia's article explores parents helping their adult children financially. And that's what we'll spend some time on today. What do we consider adult children? What age? 18? 23. I think well, I was going to say 21 or 22 plus. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I view, at least I view the way that this article framed it as adult working children. Yeah, okay. working or trying to find or work. Or trying too. to find yeah. work, yes. So early 20s. Okay. <clears throat> and the article focused on what they referred to as adult milestones, having their own children, buying their own homes, um, supporting their own kind of month-to-month needs or not being able to do so with the income that they were making. So what do we kind of see, we, we see all the above, right? Like we see parents that help their adult children on a monthly basis with a stipend. And I mean adult children like in their 40s, mm-hmm. like 20s through 40s. Mm-hmm. We see clients helping adult children with milestones, Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them 10, 20, 30, 50 grand to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see them also just non-milestone, like, hey, here's 10 grand. Here's five grand at Christmas. Yes. Here's 15,000 just because I want to give it to you. Yes. And I would argue the majority of those decisions are made because the parents are in a position to be able to do it, not often coming from a place of need. Kids, the kids asking for yes. hey i need help yes will you please help me which we know that exists obviously um it's just not something maybe we experience as much you have you're in that position yeah. yourself you have a adult yeah child and i'm completely torn i have no idea what i'm doing uh i don't know if i'm an enabler i don't know if i'm supporting i don't know if i'm certainly not like being the like bad cop, that's for sure. Um, and I don't know what you're supposed to do, right? Like my kid lives at home. She had a job that was miserable, quit it. Kind of not the way you should have. Like she should have gotten another job, then quit her job. But it was so bad. And like, I'll use the term like abusive. Like I was like, you just got to get out of that place. Yeah. And then you could find a job waiting table somewhere. That's taken a little longer. 
than we'd like it to. Um, so I just don't know like what's the cutoff. Like when are you like, you need to be out of the house. You need to be in your own apartment because you don't want to force your kid into a financially stressful situation, but you can't let your kid just like sit at home and eat your egos for the next like 50. Yes, I eat egos every morning. <laughs> you can't let your kid just eat your food and be comfortable. And we've, Melissa and I have done a horrible job. What I mean is a very good job of making our home very comfortable. So like nobody wants to leave. Yeah. I mean, I think like most things, I would say it's situational. And and there's not a black and white answer in my opinion. It just never would be. You, and then you get down to when you have multiple adult children, one maybe needs no help and one maybe needs a lot of help. So you handle that differently you just have to right um if your kids if your kids working this is this is the way i how i if your kids working and they're a productive member of society you have way more leeway with me like yeah let's stay here until you have enough and your budget and expense ratio is enough where you can get out on your own and and not have to like really struggle too much now i'll just pull pull a number like that i'll pull a number out of the out of the air like that can't be till you're 30 and like 28 is probably when i start like scratching my head like all right when the heck are you gonna get out of here what if she wants to buy a house in new york like what if that's her goal i mean 28 she's not gonna be able to do that then you have to save up here until you're 28 go get yourself an apartment in New York or in Hoboken or right, wherever. Right. Yeah. And then you, it's just going to take you a little longer to save up because now you have to like, you have the expense of an apartment for a little too. bit. Yeah. 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 I think the element, like I, I, I agree with you, Mike, that like it's very situational. I feel like it's just so important to have the conversation and to be on the record about expectations from both sides to whether or not you're job seeking or you're, responsibly spending and saving your money um you know and and timelines i i feel like creating them can be a little bit of a slippery slope right it can maybe add undue pressure or can create anxiety around an age approaching an age that maybe isn't isn't totally necessary and again i that's situation by situation uh communication is like step one yeah and we screwed that up like we never had the sit down. It's so crazy that we're having this pod now because Melissa and I talked about it this morning and we reached out to Kayla today and said, hey, why don't we, because she's in between jobs, she's looking for a job. We're like, we need to sit down this this weekend if, if we all can to discuss like, what's your plan? Like, how long do you want to be here in, living at home? What does your budget look like? What are your goals? What are you saving up for? What do you want your career to look like? Does that mean you have to go back to school? Do you want a career? I don't know if you want a career. And like just have that discussion. We haven't had it mm -hmm. and, and we never had it. So that was a mistake. We probably should have had that a year and a half ago. Um, but she's 24. We're, we're going to have it now. Everybody's on the same page to have. And I think we're all going to feel a whole lot better after we have it. She's going to feel better because she finally has direction. 
we feel better because we understand her expectations and she knows our expectations. And I think as long as you're helping your kids make good financial decisions, that's good. Like I think I can, I can definitely see the helping with the down payment as becoming, as being way more of a, um, an obvious and important thing to do, given that all the other things are there. You know, the stars would have to align for me for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like if a kid has a house that they want to buy and the down payment's 50 grand and they have $5,000 saved up, I'm not helping you. But I think part of the thing there is that the article mentions it, that the price of real estate now, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. is outrageous. So the down payment that would have been required 30 years ago is it's, it's not even attainable. But if you haven't shown the discipline and the financial ability to accumulate at least half of the down payment, why would I help you buy a house? You're probably just going to make more financial mistakes and you're probably going to lose the house or need more financial support from me, which I'm not going to do. I I think that's where conversations are important and expectations are are required. I mean, I, I obviously I don't have kids, but like when we think about that adult, hood time frame it's like it's weddings it's houses it's you know again kids of their own and i think there are a lot of ways in which help can be used of course um but maybe with you and your kids like identifying you said it the goals or the priorities of your kid and they're going to be different for everybody and then i think it's like how financially solvent are mom and dad like can they afford to do these things? Again, we deal in a space and place where most of the time the affordability for mom and dad is not a huge concern. But that's not the norm. I mean, that life being more expensive isn't just impacting young adults. Yeah, Life's more expensive for everybody. Now, mom and dad might not be trying to buy a home or trying to have a wedding or have their own kids. So I understand that. But like parents deciding to help with no guardrails for themselves is like the absolute worst thing they could do for themselves and their kids. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a few clients where I've said like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a single client, you know, husband or wife predeceased. They have one child and they have more money than they need. Like you can help your kid as much as you want. Yeah. Like you're, you're not like filthy rich, but you're, you're never going to spend all this money. You, they're going to get it anyway. If you want to help them, sure. No guardrails. You're, you're right. totally fine. But I think in, in 90% of the cases, yeah, there have to be guardrails because the parents have enough for themselves, but not enough for everybody else. Right. It's inter- it's, it's, it's wild how unique every situation is. And there is no, okay, here's the rule of thumb. This is how you do it. You know, you, once your kids hit 28, you kick them out. Like, it's expensive and they don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, you know, kudos to the kid that graduates college and is immediately in an, in an apartment on their own yeah. supporting themselves. But that's, I don't think that's the norm anymore. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who, whose son just graduated a year ago, took a job in out of state and the job, he learned the job. He rented an apartment, spent everything he was making on that and mm-hmm. just living. And then, you know, this particular job, I guess, has afforded him the ability to work remotely. So he just announced he's coming home 
and living at home to save the rent while he continues to work. And the parents are not happy yeah. <laughs> about it at all. So, um, but I get it. Like he's not saving any money by spending, you know, $1,800 a month on rent, wherever, whatever it is. I'm making up a number, but like he's, he's spending every, he's not saving anything where he is. And that's a scenario where, I don't know. I, w- I would say, yeah, like a year, two, whatever. I don't know, maybe, but just just bank what you can and then figure it out. There's other options, man. You don't have to. You don't have to get an apartment by yourself, right? You get an apartment yeah. with two other people. You make it affordable, but you can't. Like I just don't like if your kid's sitting on your couch eating Cheetos, like you need to crack them into shape to like get a job or get out. And I, and like I'm sorry, like that's. If that creates financial stress for you, I'm sorry, but you just can't, like, what's the word that people, you can't... Uh, freeload. Yeah, you can't be like a freeloader. If they're busting their butt and they're working and it's just expensive and... Yeah, that's you help kind them, of where I... Yeah, you help them accumulate is, yeah. and then figure out, okay, you want to move out? Well, yeah, a, a $2,000 apartment isn't in your range, but I don't want you living in a $200 a month apartment, so let's figure out, find two of your buddies and find a, find a place. Because I think that's going to help them grow. Right, keeping them at home where they're comfortable isn't. Getting them out with roommates, that experience, living with other people, having to like wash the dishes because your roommates are gonna give you shit if you don't, like that's all growth for them. And it it, it affords them growth financially too, because it forces a level of responsibility, you hope. And obviously it could go the other way where poor habits are created, but like you hope that maybe with enough of a cushion, a couple of years saved, and then like a, a budget or a framework in which they can afford to live, that it does create maybe more sound financial decision making moving forward. I mean, we've all done it. Right? All three of us have moved out. Yeah. It sucked. It was financially stressful, at least for me. I lived with two people I met on Craigslist. <laughs> What's Craigslist? <laughs> okay. It's tough. I'm not right. saying it's not tough. Right. But there's ways that you can alleviate the stress level a little bit and make it possible for you to move out. Like at the end of the day, if people have parents who are willing and able to help, if it's done so responsibly and well-intended... Yeah, I think, and and uh, maybe I'll wrap with this. I think the one thing that we have to do a good job, a better job of doing, and I'll throw my wife under the bus. We being parents. Parents. Yeah. We have to stop looking about what we did. Like Melissa always says, and this is not specifically related to like older kids, like our younger generation. I agree with you. But she's always like, man, like when my mom was at work and I was at home, like I started dinner and I cleaned that. Like, okay, well, you're, you're a better person. Right. And you're maybe a harder worker, but like we can't take what we did and and expect our children to do the same damn thing, especially when we have made their lives super comfortable. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Okay. All right. On to quitting time. This is from Scott Galloway's blog, No Mercy, No Malice. Scott kicks off the article calling bullshit on one of the more common sentiments we hear, uh, which is never give up. His article describes a way in which giving up or quitting or starting over or accepting failure can actually be a good thing. I loved this article. 
Yeah? Yeah, I really did. I mean, it totally vibed with me 100%. I think the whole message of failures aren't failures, they're education moments where you can, all right, well, why didn't that work? And use it to improve. And quitting is fine. Quitting is realizing that this ain't working. Let's try something else. I mean, that I love that message. Um, the other message, the, the 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 opposite of that is like, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with like David Goggins, who's like this. Is that Navy SEAL? Navy SEAL. And, is he the weirdo that runs like 20 hours a day? But everything is, yeah. And he's just like, you got to do everything as hardcore as possible. Never quit. Never give up. Like pick, even when you're super tired, just get back out there and run another temp. Like <laughs> that creates like this mentality of, you either succeed or you fail, right? And it's like, and when you fail, which by the way, 90% of people are going to quote unquote fail. They feel like failures. It's okay to quit. It's okay to not go to the gym if you don't want to go to the gym today because you're freaking tired. By the way, David Goggins, you were married twice, bro. It seems like you quit two marriages. So like what, like you're good at like the exercise stuff and like the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm spiraling. Yeah, you're but, taking a little bit of a tangent. No, I like learn from your mistakes, move on. I thought the one line was great. Like be humble when things work and willing to forgive yourself when they don't. Meaning the way I took that, like if you if it worked out, it's not just because you're like super smart. Right? There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of factors that went into yeah. that. Yeah, so Galloway, there's a, there's a bunch of things about Scott that I, about him. I'm not, not him, him, but... I've listened to him tons and I've read a lot of his stuff. He's there's a lot of things I don't particularly vibe on with him. But one thing he's the a theme that he talks about a lot, and he mentions it in here is the role of luck in people's success. And he's he's hyper aware of that and he points out all the time and he's right, which is that too many people just refuse to acknowledge the role that luck played in their own successes which is oftentimes the most important thing um and then the other thing about this article we talk about a lot so just relating back briefly to like financial planning related stuff where you know we talk a lot with people about their expenses and where can you cut how can you you know look at what you're spending and where and all that kind of stuff as it relates to you know saving and all this sort of stuff. But the income side of things is often way more impactful and important. And that's part of this article talking about the willingness to change jobs or to put yourself in a better position from an income standpoint multiple times throughout your career even. And most, I don't know, it might be a stat in here where most people, the people who change jobs the most on average you know, make more money like over, over their careers. And it makes sense. You're obviously it's, there's a risk taking element to it, but it's also, it makes sense that if you are trying more things over the course of your life, you're naturally probably going to hit on something that's going to, you know, catapult you maybe into a, a, a better, a much better earning situation. And that has, I think a lot more importance over your life from a financial standpoint than, you know, avoiding that Starbucks run today. Or whatever. Totally. And I feel like in, in on that piece of it, like why 
why changing jobs was ever viewed as quitting, right? Like mm-hmm. we, right, societally, we created this like expectation that you worked somewhere for 40 years because of loyalty and because you owed it to who? Right. Like to, to what? Some billion dollar corporation that you're one cog in the wheel of? I mean, I don't want to diminish anybody's jobs or roles, but like that's the reality. So I think the the narrative around quitting is in this in that case is even silly. It's like I'm gonna get a three percent raise at my current role or a twenty thousand dollar raise like at the next place. Like it's apples and oranges. It, from all an the income time standpoint. Is. Yeah. yeah. Um he focuses a little much on the the entrepreneur slant to this, meaning like starting <clears throat> starting businesses yeah. and you know it takes on average six or seven tries at it before you get six, all that kind of stuff. Most people aren't starting business. Most people are not right, doing right. that or certainly not doing it as their, as their career. Like I'm going to, I'm going to start businesses till I, you know, till I, till I make it or till I hit it, whatever. That's not the normal typical person, but I still think the point is valid, which is, yeah, um, which is to your point, Meg, which is like, you know, the, the the quitting and back to your Goggins thing, like the quitting thing is just a, that's a terrible term to call leaving one thing and trying another, I would say. Yeah, don't be afraid to change. Yeah. Change is good. It's not always good, but keep changing and you'll probably, it'll probably work out at some point. Or, tr- but like the alternative of trying to force things that aren't working out, like, and I mean, we oversimplified it earlier talking about like books right? Like you're reading a book that you're not into. Like your time is worth more than a book you're not into, Jeffrey. Gotta get through it. Um, Like so even like we're talking about careers and (laughs) life decisions, but like the whole like perseverance, like through tough times, it's just tired. Like it's 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 not applicable in most situations. Like perseverance, I think generally speaking, is fine, but it doesn't need to be to Scott's point this like virtue that we uphold ourselves yeah. to day in and day out. Yeah, the Uncle Eddie syndrome. Like what's he holding out for a management position? Yeah. But I mean, it just reminds me, Jeff. We just had a meeting today with somebody, um, not a client, another person, a practitioner, and. It just reminds me of the same thing. Like, here's a person who likely, and we all agreed, should move on and try something else rather than continue to, you know, yeah, do what he's do doing, what he's doing yeah. for another year or another three years. Yeah. I think it's like if you buy a property and you're like, I'm going to put a bunch of money into this property. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to sell it. And things come up and it becomes more and more expensive and like, Eventually, you're probably better off if instead of seeing that through and dumping all that money into it, you cut the cord. Maybe you unload it for less than what you paid for it. But in the end, you probably learned a shit ton, uh, like a lot of mistakes that you shouldn't make again. And you probably saved a lot of money that you didn't put out if you saw the project through. I mean, yeah, just, that's why there's a saying, throwing good money after bad. Yeah. 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 It's and hard. All, all of that being okay. Yeah. Despite what every external factor or influence may tell you that like sometimes leaving it be or leaving something lie and moving on is like perfectly acceptable. All right. On to our top five. Sure. Top five perfectly 
cast TV characters? I love mine. I have lots, by the way. I have a couple extra, too, and I'm not usually an extra girly. usually go five, and that's it. I know who's number one on your list. Do you? And it's recency bias for you. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) you probably know one of them. He's not number one, though. You're not going to get number one. Okay. All right, I'm going to start with my number one. Phil Dunphy. Yeah, he was on my... Phil Dunphy from um, Modern Family, Family, right. Like, There's not a better, better TV dad. There's not a better family person. I mean... I think one of the tests to this is could he be or is he cast in any other role? No. No. You've never seen him. Okay. I mean, he's I know in, he's like, been in other bomb, things, but movie, he's I not. Think, yeah. he, he can't have a successful career outside of that show. Well, I like see him on social media now, and he's like <laughs> in pictures with like the kids from the show, like at their weddings. And like he's, he's Phil outside of being <laughs> Phil. Um <clears throat> I have, did you guys watch Blackbird? Yes, I, would, I thought about that one. So I feel like the serial killer thing is kind of easy. It's also kind of insulting, but Paul, his name's Paul Walter Hauser. He plays a serial killer in this show and he is perfect. Okay. Creepy, weird, looks the part. So good. That show is also awesome if you haven't watched it okay. yet. Um, Julie Louis Dreyfus in Veep. Yeah, Selena I thought Meyer. about that. Yeah, she's great. I thought about that. Uh, Mariska Haggerty in Law and Order SVU. Detective Benson. Never saw. Another one. They're like on season 25. She's never in anything else. She will always be a special victims unit <laughs> detective. Um, and my last one. God, I'm James Gandolfini. Yeah. Tony mm-hmm. Soprano. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's Tony Soprano. I find myself like judging out my chin <laughs> like speaking with my hands <clears throat> he just wants to make you eat prosciutto you can go okay. we're not gonna have any overlap i see i struggled a little bit because it was sort of like is the character itself that great and then the, right are these like your favorite characters oh totally and it just happens to be oh well that's perfect casting because the character's so awesome and they did a good job with it or whatever anyway you overthought it i overthought clearly it. okay i got um Al Swearingen from Deadwood. He's on my list. <laughs> I just said we were going to have no overlap. I've never seen Deadwood. He is. That is the, one of the best. Uh, he's the perfect bad he's guy. He's perfect. Yeah. He's like, he even looks like he's from a Western. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got um, from Succession, Tom Wamsgant, Bank oh, however you say his name. Yeah. The guy who played him. Yeah. thought that was perfect. He did such a great job. Yeah. He's British, too. He's I British, think. yeah. yeah. Yeah, from those new commercials, like the Mercedes commercials. Well, he was in A Pride and Prejudice, one of the oh, Jane Austen gotcha. movies. Gotcha. Um, John Ritter as Jack Tripper, just perfect. Yeah, agreed. He, he, <laughs> he crossed my mind. John, who's Jack Tripper? From Three's Company. Three's Company, okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, and um, I've got Anthony Carrigan, I believe his name, played Noho Hank from Barry. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't no, seen Barry. Again, again, one of those where the character is great and maybe it's just like... Who was No Ho Hank? I forget. I watched... The bald guy. The No Ho Hank. The, the, oh, the, God. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's a good call. And then finally, I got to go. I mean, any chance I get. Uh, from the Wire, Omar Little, played yeah. by Michael Williams. Yeah. Just awesome. He was on my backups. Yeah. Awesome. You probably could have picked a couple of characters yes. from The Wire. Yes, yes. Um. 
I thought you were going to have a Schitt's Creek. <laughs> I thought about it. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go with, um, you guys saw, you watched the Fresh Prince of New Air, uh, the, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey. The butler. The butler. Okay. Like that's I can't good, see him being anything yeah, but a butler. Yeah. That's a good call. That's, that's a good one. Um, I have Vinny Chase from Entourage. Which one? He's the main, the guy who's the actor. Adrian Brody. Adrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know the guy's name, but Dexter. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just seems yeah, like, that's a he good looks one. like a serial killer. That's, that's a good, good one. one. I think he, oh, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Um, I forget his name too, but Frank from Shameless. Oh, yeah. Like he played. Oh, my Gacy. Uh, William H. Macy. William H. He played yeah. like. A degenerate yeah. alcoholic. Yeah, he was good. He was well he cast. He nailed it. Well yeah. cast, yeah. No, that's a good one. And then my number one, and I'm, he's the reason he is, I believe, the number one is because when they replaced him, it the show failed. Charlie Harper. Charlie Sheen oh, as Charlie men. Harper in Two and a Half Men. When they put, what's who backed him up? Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Ash, it was terrible. Still, still have not seen enough. It was unwatchable. That's a good one. And that's a good way to think about it. Like roles that have been replaced. replaced. Hmm. All right. Good job, guys. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Till next time. See ya.